1: You know what it's like as a mum, you know, if your child's got a cough or a cold or they fall down and hurt their knee, it's just the most horrific thing and you just want to fix it and you just want to take it away from them. And not having the power to be able to do anything is just, it's torture, really.
0: Welcome to The Deep. I'm Zoe Marshall. In my early 20s, a lot of traumatic things happened. And ever since then, I have had this fascination with people and their stories. This is The Deep. I acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, and recognise their continuing connection to land, water and community. I pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. Renee's story is one of pain that is yet to come. She's discovered that her children have a terminal genetic disorder a type of childhood dementia. As young children, they appear perfectly normal, but the disease progresses fast and there is no cure.
1: Renee, welcome to The Deep. Hello, Zoe. So grateful
0: to have you. You are a long-time listener and reached out to us with your story, and it is a doozy.
1: It is. Um, it's... Um probably going to be a big one so buckle up.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Can you tell us the moment that you started to think something's not quite right here?
1: Sure um so it's a bit of a backwards moment for me so I had a four-year-old and a two-year-old boy girl not a problem And I got pregnant with my third child and everything was fine. Went for my 12-week scan, went for my 20-week scan, went for a 28-week scan just to check on his growth. And he had a condition called ascites, which is basically he had fluid inside his abdomen. And I got pulled aside and the hospital said, this is not compatible with life. Uh, You need to go to the big women's and children's hospital tomorrow. Um, we can't tell you much more, you need to see specialists. So that was, I suppose, the first blindsiding part of this journey. I went to the women's and children's the next day, and yes, he had the a They couldn't tell me why, so we had to do some investigations. um, And I was 28 weeks pregnant, so I was offered an amniocentesis for knowledge, but depending on what it came back with, I couldn't um, medically terminate or anything like that because it was so far in the pregnancy. So I had one to give myself up with what was coming and it actually came back with nothing, no abnormalities. Um, I continued to go to the women's and children's every week for the next 10 weeks to get scans on my little baby um, and every week the Acides was starting to go down, but his liver and his spleen and his heart were enlarging and working over time just to go, get rid of the fluid. Um, fast forward to 38 weeks and they said, look, we'd like to induce you for your safety and the baby's safety, but we're preparing you that he probably will be born stillborn. Um packed up went to the hospital had my baby boy and he was born yes with an extended tummy but otherwise perfect he looked identical to his big brother <laughs> um he got whisked away and they ran all the tests and all the blood tests and the pinpricks and the looking for some sort of reason of why he had this asitis and they couldn't find anything apart from he had Elevated lev- liver uh, functions, so his liver was working overtime to get rid of it. Um, so we spent a week while they tried their best to find a reason, and they couldn't. So we got ho- got sent home, got placed under the care of the gastroenterology team, and we were going into the hospital every three months for a checkup, a review, a blood test. Um, and everything was going well. Everything was getting better. His liver was liver's enzymes were going down he had a virus v RSV that was probably the most remarkable thing and then we went in at eight months old and his doctor said look I know he's doing really well he's hitting his milestones but if it was nothing it would have cleared up by now so we're going to run some gene panels and I guess oblivious to me at the time I'm like yeah sure no worries um And probably about two weeks later, I got a phone call saying, we need you to come in, went up to the doctor's office and got given a condition on a piece of paper called Neiman-Pick type C1. Um, They said, this is what he has. It's an ultra rare condition. It is a terminal condition. Um, We suggest you don't go home and Google it but you'll be moved over to the metabolic sort of team. There's no cure. There's no treatment. So take your boy home, love him, make some memories. Um, basically, that was the conversation. We went out and, of course, the first thing you do is you jump on Google.
0: Google, of course.
1: Of course, because I've never heard of that before in my life. Um and i'm thinking to myself okay well that's not right <laughs> mm. because i had this perfectly healthy baby boy who was you know he was trying to stand up and he was laughing and he was engaged and he was there was no no warning signs or nothing that felt off or um you know just the tummy that was all and we used to just say he had a little beer belly that was all
0: <laughs> the doctor that said go home and love your baby this is terminal Was there guidelines around the age or like what was the timeline of this? How, I guess, urgent was it if he's just presenting like a normal healthy baby? What what do they think the decline will be and how will that decline start to show?
1: Sure. So it does depend when you get the diagnosis, um, but most children get the diagnosis when things start to change. So, I guess in our, our instance is a little different because he wasn't sick or faltering yet, but um, most children or all children with Niemann-Pick Type C don't really live to see their twentieth birthday.
0: Okay, and between the diagnosis at eight months and late teens, early twenties, does the quality of life shift dramatically?
1: it shifts quite rapidly, it's a rapid decline. So most children develop appropriately to a certain point and then they sort of plateau and then they start wavering off. Um, It can look quite different between children, but a lot of the first beginning signs are, you know, falling behind in school, presenting as like an ADHD child that can't sit down, can't listen, can't take things in, can't, Um, and then clumsiness and, um, you know, eventually losing the ability to walk, losing the ability to talk, um, not being able to swallow food safely anymore. Uh, Essentially, they just get robbed of every skill that they've learnt and until there's nothing left.
0: How long ago was your diagnosis?
1: Sure. So uh, my baby, he was eight months old, so it was... In
0: 2019. So what are we, is he four and a half, almost five?
1: Just turned five.
0: (laughs) How is he?
1: At the moment, he is fantastic. You wouldn't pick him out of a line um, with having anything wrong. He's a busy boy. He doesn't sit still, but lots of five-year-old boys are. Um, He is actually really good at kicking, catching, basketball You know, he's a very much a gross motor kind of boy, Um, which I guess makes it all the more unbelievable to me, but um, we have to be grateful that he is. Does it feel
0: like a mistake? You know, you're saying things are just so normal throughout your pregnancy and them saying that he was... Not even going to make the birth to the point where he's five and he's still very much active and coherent like does that feel like maybe this isn't this isn't us like maybe it just won't be for us is there I mean that feels like denial even for me right now saying that but can you have diagnoses that don't Like, what did Google say? Did people, were they able to go past their 20s?
1: Well, I guess it can look so different for everybody and it can be different even between siblings, you know. It doesn't mean that every child will lose the ability to walk at a certain age. It just means Mm. that it will be an overall decline. So basically with MPC your body can't turn over a certain sort of cholesterol. So it starts building up onto all your organs. So the way that it can affect you is completely, I guess, variable. Um, and yes, it completely, I think that's a big part of my self-preservation just to think that it's not going to happen and that they've gotten it wrong and that, you know, my kids will be the one to prove that wrong. <laughs> um because, yeah, I don't think it's something that I could probably accept and carry on living a normal life as, to an extent.
0: So this feels like a ticking time bomb, like waiting for things to start shifting and for you to switch roles from regular mum into I'm a carer and a mum
1: yeah absolutely so I guess it's always there it's ever present even on the best days you know birthdays Christmases um the kids coming home with a painting or learning a new skill or wanting to do something that I know is going to be challenging and the way that I explain it to people is it's like you're at the beach and you're having the best time of your life everything's so wonderful and the sun is shining but you can just see this dark storm cloud and it's there and it's dooming and it's coming and you can't do anything you can't do anything to stop it which is the hardest part um and all the while trying to keep a normal happy life and try to enjoy all the days and not let that storm ruin it
0: Because you were told this baby wouldn't be born alive, has there always been this sense of preparation for the end? Like, is there – it sounds like there's a lot of dread, but are you – is there a spectrum of, like – their 20s is the best case scenario but it could not be that like it just feels so vague right like how do you how are you supposed to just deal with that
1: yeah it's a lot to deal with and um it's probably a daily battle for me to choose to be in the present and you know I guess none of us know what tomorrow brings and um, we're here and we're happy and we are, you know, living life now. It means that I'm much more of a yes, mum, and we do a lot more things that I probably wouldn't, <laughs> you know, I, I would say no to, if I didn't think that time was precious.
0: I love that, and I think that's a really interesting concept. A, a beautiful friend of mine, you would know the episode, Rachel Casella and Mackenzie you know, she lost her baby when she was nine months old and she was just like the yes mom too, like let's just take all the trips, let's have have the sugar, try the ice cream, do the things because life is so goddamn short and I don't know if you're going to get this any other time in your life. How do you balance that with okay, I don't want you to have chocolate, it's nine o'clock at night, this is, like, how do you do the, how, like, how, do you just go with your gut?
1: Yeah, I do go with my gut, and I know that they feed off me quite a bit, so if we are having a day where I am struggling, or things are a bit heavy, sometimes just saying yes to something little like that can help everybody, you know, my Mm. kids, probably my kids, to drag all the mattresses out into the lounge room and have a lounge room sleepover yes that's annoying and yes i have to clean it up afterwards but it makes them so happy and i love having them close too so it's a constant way up because you want to give them everything let them experience everything and also keep them warm keep them safe keep them bundled up like but you don't want to you know spoil them too much and then they go through that and um
0: Mm.
1: yeah it's a very fine line to walk I suppose
0: you said something about cholesterol you know is it metabolized and can build up now I don't have a lot of understanding of cholesterol other than margarine ads back in the day mm. does that is that a ignorant way like is it around fats or is cholesterol uh, does that come into your body in different ways what is that how do you manage that
1: Sure. So it's not ignorant because I said the same sort of thing. Well, if it's just cholesterol, let's get rid of it sort of thing. Uh, but it's basically it's not it doesn't come from diet or lifestyle. It's basically your body um, getting rid of rubbish and you, you with MPC, it slows down until it stops. So then it just accumulates.
0: Uh, okay. So it's kind of like waste management in a way.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay.
0: Um, I want to talk about. You have an older child.
1: Yeah. So I have two other children. Um, I have a boy who is almost nine. Somehow, <laughs> and I have a daughter who is just gone seven.
0: Okay. So nine, seven, five. What's the understanding amongst the family unit? of your youngest
1: i guess after we got my youngest's diagnosis we learned that it is a genetic condition um and it's a recessive condition so there's an error somewhere in my genes that is fine on its own and there's an error in their father's genes which is also fine on its own and then together um they they make a one in four chance of having um an npc child um so I guess with the beginning symptoms being clumsiness and, you know, ADHD, sort of, I had a four-year-old and a two-year-old and a newborn at home at the time, chaos. Um, And um, somebody fell over or every time it was full on or I had this, I guess, in the back of my mind, well, oh, hang on, what about my other kids? And the hospital sort of said to me, you know, there's a... One in one in four chance, um, but you can have them blood tested. So I got my big two blood tested. Um, I think about three months after my youngest diagnosed, just so that I could get it off the table and stop worrying all the time. And they both came back positive for NPC as well. Um, so again, I was called into the office and told, "Look, we've." triple-checked, um, both the big two have come back positive for NPC. Um, there's obviously no easy way to say this, but you have... They, they've all got a terminal diagnosis now, um, and that's probably the extent I can tell you of that meeting because I cried and cried and cried. Like, I probably haven't cried since I was a little girl. Um, and... Very quickly, they introduced us to palliative care, which naively I didn't know that was um, something for children. But they said, this is palliative care. You're going to need to make a relationship with these people. And um, I got quite upset because I thought that's all they're going to do. That's it. You know, they've written them off. Here's palliative care kind of thing. Um, But like I said, there's no cure there's no treatment so that's probably the best they could offer me at the time um and then I had to go home to my three kids and that was the <laughs> that was the end of our happy days for a little while there because that was the world off its axis but then at the same time they were you know kids that were for the Normal kids who needed dinner, needed showering, needed clean clothes for the next day, they needed, you know, they needed their mum still because they didn't know. Um, and fast forward to now, we have a lot of doctor's appointments, we have a lot of specialist appointments, they have lots of blood tests, lots of poking and prodding, um, they do some preventative therapies like hydrotherapy, occupational therapy, physio, all things to try to keep them as strong as possible. Um, And I guess fortunately in a way that because all three of them do it, they don't know life's any different to anybody else's lives at the moment. They don't know they're sick or they don't know that anything's wrong. They just accept it as the normal.
0: When... Oh, is the, oh, oh, my God. How and when do you choose the right time to tell them?
1: So it's a tricky one because I know if kids ask questions that they want the truth and they know, you know, they're not silly. They know when they ask they want to know. So we will cross that bridge when it comes to it. But for now, you know, you've got a little boy, you know what it's like. They think they're the fastest. They think they're the strongest. They think, you know, they think they're a superhero and I don't want to be the one to burst that bubble for them. And it's hard enough as an adult to wrap your head around, let alone a child. And I guess for me that's a huge huge part of the hurt that they will eventually watch each other decline and lose each other and, you know, go through a lot of pain. And I know how close they are and I just – my heart breaks for them.
0: They're so close in age and I'm just think I just am thinking – to their 20s, you know, and I'm thinking about what that experience is going to be like to say watch the first sibling deteriorate and then know that you're also going to have that experience. Yeah. That feels so incredibly cruel
1: it's horrific it's horrific Ugh. because you know it's it's not like it's the first time in my life where I haven't had anywhere to turn you know i there's no hospital there's no doctor there's no hero I can call on in this situation who can help me, and um. You know what it's like as a mum, you know, if your child's got a cough or a cold or they fall down and hurt their knee, it's just the most horrific thing and you just want to fix it and you just want to take it away from them. And not having the power to be able to do anything is just, it's torture really.
0: You know, they say that a parent should never outlive their child. You know, it's like our biggest thing. And I just can't, I just, it just, it is a, this is a mind boggling situation for me to think that this is your life path. It just is my, that there's no answer, that there's no, um, hope, that there's no, I just feels like, it just feels very cruel and demented, you know, that, it just doesn't – I mean, you must have had all of these thoughts and all of these feelings for so long of how do you – you, you can't make peace with this.
1: Yeah, it's it does feel extremely cruel and, you know, it, Um, when it was first my youngest, I felt horrible for what my big two were going to have to go through. And I had no idea what was to come to have them all diagnosed. And, you know, I didn't have any any trouble getting pregnant with them. So that in itself almost feels cruel. And, you know, if you met them now or you saw them on the street or you, you know, they don't stand out as any different, Um, they just, you know, they're normal kids. They are full of life. They're my daughter she's you know she's full of life plus 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 because she's a big character in a little girl and she's not shy and she's you know she just wants to do all the things and she's getting to the stage now where she's really aware that things are a bit harder for her and they are for my eldest boy too you know he can't read he can't write he has a lot of trouble concentrating he gets tired um but he never really cared about schoolwork so he didn't he didn't mind and my daughter cares a lot she loves to read and write and draw and dance and you know she's a very nurturing little girl so she has all these friends that she takes care of and she just this year she's starting to fall behind and she says to me you know why is it why can't I do that, mum? Why can't I write? Why can't I do this? Or, um, you know, a little girl said to her, you're really bad at colouring in. And she came home and she cried and cried and cried because she would. why am I bad at colouring in? I'm trying. And it's just things like that where you don't have the answer for them. It just, it, you know, she's breaking her own heart because she's trying her best and she just can't keep up now. But outwardly, she looks so fine. So it's, really you know she doesn't get the support that she needs almost because she looks like she's doing fine and she'll try her best and she'll be at the front of the front of the class exhausting herself but not being able to do it um it just it's so hard to hurry on with life and still try to, you know, still try to make them eat their veggies or still try to teach them wrong from right and all these things when you know that they're just going to be robbed of everything that you try. try. <laughs> mm.
0: What is the, what is your home situation like? Do you have family support? Do you, yeah, who's there for you?
1: Sure, so I I am on my own with the kids um, but gratefully I do have Wonderful family support. Um, I guess with our particular condition, we're the only family in our whole state that have this condition, so it's pretty isolating. Um, It's a condition that falls under the childhood dementia umbrella. So if you look at it that way, then it's a little bit more common. You know, there's 70 different conditions that can fall under that umbrella. So it is a larger community, but there's just spitfires everywhere almost. Um, And, yeah, I guess in a weird way, the kids are my support. You know, they're my strength and my weakness and, you know, they're the reason why I keep going and the reason why I get out of bed every day because if I don't, then they suffer. So it's as much as I'd like to curl up into a ball and hide away, I can't because that makes things harder for them.
0: You said childhood dementia and it's only recently that I've heard this term. Do they, does it fall under that title because the way in which this develops, it will impact their memory, it will impact like uh, my, my grandmother had dementia and it, you know, that loop. I don't know if you know anyone that's had it, but the loop of saying the same thing, asking the same questions, is that something that they're saying will happen?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's yeah. Short term memory, um, loss of speech, loss of mobility, you know, it's, the loss of being able to swallow food safely um, which kills me because my big boy, his favourites are steak and roast and all the meats and all the things. So I give him that as much as I can because the thought of him not being able to chew that is just destroying. Um, You lose, you know, you can lose your hearing, you can lose your memories, you won't be able to recognise familiar faces anymore. They can mm. develop a thing called cataplexy. It's basically, you know, that when you laugh, the rest of your body can't hold you up anymore. Um, It's, they lose the ability to move their eyes up. They lose their ability to track across with their eyes. Um, Find motor skills. It's just everything's, so oh, it just doesn't, it doesn't hold back.
0: How do you make a plan for the future because this caring for three children I don't know if it's going to be staggered or if it's not like you don't know no one knows each child is different you know so do you get financial support do you get like NDIS like what happens how are you supposed to when it gets bad what's the plan
1: um yes I do get NDIS and I am a carer for the children um because I don't have the time for working when you know they do four separate therapies each a week and hospital trips and doctors trips and of course six days even because they. um and as for planning for the future it is incredibly difficult for me um you know, it's yeah, it's just really hard to look forward to things when you know there's something glooming over the top. And that sometimes means I struggle to get through the week with enough preparation or things like that because it just I just feel like I wanna stay where I'm safe. I wanna stay where they are safe, I don't want to move forward, I don't want it to be you know christmas time because that's another six months or i just want to be here be now that's that's all but <laughs> you know without me actually making plans and going forward and making sure there's food and there's clean clothes and you know it just wouldn't work and then they would suffer so it's a battle every day to choose to keep going and to keep pushing and you know, I don't want to waste my days with the kids sitting around watching TV or I don't want to be at the sink washing dishes when who knows what tomorrow will bring sort of thing. So it's a real internal battle every single day.
0: You said you're, you're a single mum. hmm It feels like a lot to hold on your own. It is. If it feels monumental, I, 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 I don't even know what the point of saying this is, because I, I don't really want to get into your ex partner, but um, it feels unfair as it is, and then it feels almost heartless to allow someone to carry the burden of these illnesses alone.
1: Yes, it's definitely a different end of cards that I thought I would be dealt. You know, I always wanted to be a mum. That was my dream. You know, I'm the eldest of ten siblings, and how many? I'm I'm all (laughs) ten. (gasps) Um, Wow. I'm one of four, and then I have four stepsisters, and I have two half brothers, and I'm the eldest of everybody. So I have always had that maternal role, and um that was my dream become a mum and that was how it was going to be and I guess to be dealt this hand um it's not something I was prepared for you know you don't have children and you don't have healthy children and normal pregnancies and expect something like this to rear its ugly head um and yeah it's a it's a recessive gene so I had no much like your friend Rachel, no inkling that it was there laying ready (laughs) to cause some trouble.
0: Personally, after hearing Rachel's story about Mackenzie, I did some genetic testing with my husband prior to Fox and or maybe it was when I fell pregnant. I can't remember But I remember that thing as well of having recessive genes and that if my partner had a recessive gene, we would have a very unwell child and my husband had different recessive genes to me. Is this something that you wish you knew ahead of time? Like I know it's one in four, the odds, so the odds are just fucked on your side. But would you have wanted to know?
1: Well, yes, like I would never regret having my children because they're my ever- and, you know, you would go through hell on earth for them. But I would have liked to have known so that I wouldn't have had to um, put them through, put them through what they have to go through, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I was young and naive and I didn't even think about genetic testing. I fell pregnant easily. There was nothing in my family that made me think maybe I should. Um, and like I said, we had, you know, I had a four year old and a two year old who were perfectly healthy by the time I had my third and by the time he got diagnosed. So it's not, Yes, it was a bit of a um, of sense of security, I suppose. But, I, yeah, naively I didn't know. You know, I assumed that children who are born quite unwell were always unwell or were always behind or there was some sort of um, marker of some sort that that's when you would do the investigation. Um, so, yeah. I would have liked to have known to save them the pain and to save myself the pain, Um, to save my family the pain, you know. Like my dad always says now, that's your babies and I know you're heartbroken, but my baby's heartbroken because of her babies. And that just kills me because of the ripple effect that goes through the family now, you know, my sisters, my brothers, having to even explain to them this is what's going to happen, It's just been such a frightening time for all of us and nobody can do anything, that's the hardest thing. Nobody can help, nobody can save the day, nobody can, you know, That's I guess that's why I share my story and I had to get to this point so that I could but if nobody knows about it, you know, nobody is talking about it, nobody's researching, nobody's trying to find something that can prolong their lives or ease their suffering. Um, And yes, it's a rare condition, but I think it's one in 25 adults carry a recessive gene that can have a child with dementia if it meets its match. So yes, we were extremely unlucky to get three out of three, but it's more common than people think do you or
0: have you made contact with any parents anywhere in the world that have experienced this and what what was their situation and was that helpful or not helpful
1: I have yes so there's roughly 10 kids with name and pick type c one in the whole of Australia and that includes my three so wow. it's a very small, it's very confronting and you, I feel overwhelmed with the feelings of I don't belong here, this is not going to happen, this is not, you know. Um, and I guess a lot of families aren't almost fortunate, I would say not. it's not fortunate, but fortunate in a way that they got their diagnosis before things started faltering. So we can do things like preventative therapies and things. Lots of families go on a long diagnostic journey until it's almost too late to do anything like that. Um, So I guess every family you meet is at a different part in their journey. But unfortunately, with childhood dementia, there's no survivors, so it can be a very hard world to be a part of.
0: This is a shit question, but we were saying the most hopeful age was early 20s. What
1: is the other end of the spectrum? You know, some children are stillborn. Some children have the early infantile um, type where they can lose and sometimes their lives before they're five. Um, It pretty much depends on when your symptoms start, as to sort of how quickly you decline. Um, I guess it's quite like an adult with dementia, you know, it can hit slowly, it can hit quite quickly, but children don't have the stocks or the memories or the, you know, the muscle memory even to maintain and remember and, you know, they just learn these skills and they lose them straight away. They don't have that whole lifespan to wow. develop. Yeah. Um, I guess you know, my youngest was born with the the large tummy and my older two weren't. But now my oldest is almost nine and his eyes are affected now. He's you know, he's very far behind in schooling. He's very much he does do a lot of repeating, like you said earlier, lots of facts and then he asks me, right? And then he asked me, right, at the end, right, mum, right, mum, because he wants that reassurance, he wants that program, he wants that. Mm. Um, It's only been since 2019 that he was diagnosed with no symptoms and now here we are in 2023 where it is starting to show. So it's unfortunately for me feels very slow and drawn out and painful but it really is quite quick.
0: I'm just so incredibly sorry that this is happening and there is no, there's, there's no hope i just it, it it feels really awful just so awful is there anything that we haven't touched on today that you feel like is important to share
1: um i guess the main the main reason why I share the story is just to try and raise awareness um you know roughly the same amount of kids are diagnosed with childhood dementia as they are with a form of childhood cancer so it's it's out there but it's just not recognized and until it is it's not going to be at the forefront of anyone's minds to research and try and find a cure so that's the main thing I guess you know spread it, talk about it, start a conversation you never know where that might lead um, and yeah just love your babies and hug them and celebrate everything celebrate all the little things you know even if it's a drawing on the wall just be grateful that they can draw
0: You are a big fan of this show so you know what's coming <laughs> I don't know if that's worse for those people that have listened for so long, the, the pressure of the question. Who are you when no one's watching?
1: You know, you th- you'd think that I would be prepared because I knew <laughs> it, <laughs> but I, I don't know who I am if I'm not a mum, to be honest, and that scares me because that's all I know. Um, I just hope that I am a mum that the kids can be proud of and I hope they know that I am in their corner and I'm trying my best and if I can make someone else's journey a little bit lighter by sharing mine, then I hope that helps. And, yeah, I'm just me. (laughs) I didn't ask for this. I'm just me. I'm just a normal person, but I'm trying my best. I think that's the
0: saddest answer to that question is I'm a mum. When no one's watching I'm a mum, that is just the saddest. So beautiful. But with this diagnosis, it's fucking heartbreaking, you know? Oh. I'm just sorry. I, you know, we have these interviews sometimes, and it's just like <sighs> with Luella and Aaron and the epilepsy. It's the same. There's no. It here we are. You know, I can't fix you. I, 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 I can't do anything that feels truly meaningful to. Wrap this up in a nice bow and us go our separate ways. You know, it just feels, I feel incredibly uncomfortable because I feel very helpless for you. Like I can't help you. And I know you have bucket loads of hopelessness, you know. So I just, it's one of those things with life where it's just really fucked. And I'm incredibly sorry. And I don't know if you've ever had like a GoFundMe or something like that, but I know people are going to want to do something. If somebody wants to reach out or do something, is there a way that they can contact you or would you prefer to remain private and then just leave their messages with us? What would work for you?
1: Um, well... First off, I appreciate what you're saying because I, like I said, long-time listener and I know you hold a safe space for everybody to speak and that's why I wanted to share my story with you because I know you're quite a good listener without judgment and just holding that safe is a really special thing and a special gift that you have um, and, you know, as much as it feels like a hopeless situation I guess we have to hope that modern medicine is evolving every day and surely (laughs) surely with enough racket we can do something so that's you know that's a special gift in itself just giving someone that space to freely talk um and I don't have a GoFundMe or anything like that um you can have a look at the Little Heroes Foundation, if you like. That's a foundation that's in South Australia who do try to do some fundraising for childhood dementia. Um, they have my story on their page, but it helps the greater community. It's not just me. It's other families that are going through the same sort of situation, so that's a great place to start. You can look on the Childhood Dementia Initiative website if you want more more facts more figures more knowledge um and otherwise yeah just just love your babies
0: (laughs) thank you so much for being with us we'll leave all of that information in the show notes and you're incredible thank you
1: thanks zoe i
0: hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the deep if it's left you with any burning questions for me or our guests, please hit us up by direct message on Instagram at What's the Deep. Hi, everybody. It is Zoe here. Change is coming to the deep. I want to welcome you to Arise. It's uplifting. It's quirky. It's curious. It's all about the mindset and self discovery to be more helpful and of service. During 16 of the Deep, you will hear some of these episodes, and I'd love to hear what you think of them over on our Instagram at What's the Deep.